Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to this week's Under the Noise with me, Wynne Morgan, and with Kate Roberts. I am Kate Roberts. That's Kate Roberts. Um, Good to be with you all again today. Um, Today we're really pleased to have a guest, Mara, who I've known for over nine years now. And even though it's somebody that in person, I don't know how many times we've met, maybe a dozen times in person in that time, maybe maybe 20. Yet, Mara is one of those people that I always wanted to see life and the world through her eyes. Because when I get a glimpse of how things look to her, I get a glimpse of the wonderment and the simplicity that sometimes I keep forgetting about. And on a personal level, someone who's become a very good friend over the years, who we've shared tears, uh, danced in a party in La Corner, and a lot of laughs, many, many laughs, and lots of profound moments. So it's a delight to have you with us today. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. And um, I have to share on, on the other side of the equation, you're the person, I can't remember if I've told you this or not, when, but that when I was nine years ago, probably when I was starting out and I still would get a lot of nerves about speaking at events, at conferences, I would look for your face because <laughs> you have the most reassuring, loving, accepting smile on your face every time I've ever given a talk. So if I, if I needed to calm my nerves, I would scan the room, find when, and just look at you for a little while and everything would feel better. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for being my security blanket in the early days. It was really helpful. Oh, delighted to have been that. Mara, how would you introduce you and what you do to anyone who has not heard of your name before? Wow, that's such an interesting question that I feel like I would have had a better answer to years ago. And now I <laughs> I haven't been asked that in a while. Um, okay. Well, what's new is my name is Mara Olson, Mara Gleason Olson. So the Gleason's now shoved to the middle. So I'm, I'm a wife to... Um, an incredibly amazing man who I feel fortunate to have met on this journey through work, basically, that's the way I mean that. Um, And I'm a mother to an incredibly adorable, um, everyone says this about their kids, but he is such a teacher. I mean, he just shows me the magic of life that you see unique in two-year-olds he's almost two he'll be two next month 
Um, and then another one on the way. Um, so those feel like the biggest things I do lately. <laughs> See, Mara Olson, the wife, and Mara Olson, the mom. And, and then I work with human beings, and I have for uh, 15 or so years now. Um, and that has evolved, but it's always been in the field of really um, sort of understanding human consciousness and our shared humanity. And I've done that in a variety of different settings from working with individuals to organizations and teams and leadership teams and particularly people struggling with problems, technical issues or um, organizational culture issues. Um, and then over the years that evolved into really returning to my social worker youth roots because I've always been a social worker at heart and really wanting to look at how do we talk about humanity and consciousness in a way that helps some of the most underserved in the world and also those facing some of the biggest challenges like violent conflict or um, you know political or religious persecution. So since starting One Solution, a nonprofit with my husband about four years ago, we have focused on really how do we help human beings reconnect to um, a deeper, quieter, clearer space in their humanity so that they can begin to solve the problems that they face. And we've done that work in Southside Chicago, which is where we're based, um, primarily with youth and parents and school systems, um, really starting as a, um, a way to try to address the violence that's sort of Chicago's infamous for but it's obviously much, much broader than that. Um, there's so much more that changes <laughs> when people connect to their own solutions than just the violence. Um, and then also we've had projects prior to COVID in other countries, like um, we did some work in Palestine with young leaders in Gaza um, and a little bit with an international school in Israel and then um, also in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So we've always looked at um, how can we bring this solution, the inner solution, the fact that people have the solution within them. They just need to see and understand how to reconnect to it. How do we bring that to people and places in the world that are struggling the most? So that was kind of what our work evolved into. Um, and it is for me as a person, it was just interesting having you ask me that question. I mean, three years ago, I would have had a much shorter answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like I've really opened up. I, I don't see myself as kind of uh, doing one thing anymore. I see myself as doing many things, both in my personal life and my professional life. And I've gotten more okay with this sort of uh, the on the one hand, it's less clear maybe, but on the other hand, it's more honest and it's more expansive. And I think at different stages in your life, you kind of have to expand and you have to um, be many things and be okay with being many things. And so that was, yeah, that was why I was interesting being asked that right now. I'm just realizing that as I'm sharing it. <laughs> the lovely answer. We chatted just before we started recording today 
about the phrase under the noise, which is similar to the what you call the introduction to your book. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who have never read this, I would heartily recommend it. Um, One Thought Changes Everything by Mara Van Gleeson, as opposed to Gleeson Olson. And the One Thought Changes Everything, and, and in the introduction, which is one of the most inspiring stories I think I've ever heard, um, and I'm not going to say any more than that because I would love people to to search that out and read it for themselves. It says, the silence beyond thought, which is very much in alignment with what Kate and I are up to with this podcast in pointing people to what is under the noise. Mm-hmm. And in our conversation uh, today, a little earlier, you mentioned that you see something really clearly about that for, for human beings. And I'd, I'd love you to share that with us, please. Yeah. Well, to me, and I think you have to always start by seeing something for yourself before it can be applied anywhere beyond that. But when I realized that there's a space in everyone where when our thought system quiets down or our anxiety or our obsessive chatter about our identity. I mean, you could give it a a million different names, but basically just the the thinking that dominates our mental space. When that gets quiet or um, falls away or suddenly looks not real, like that's kind of when it's the coolest is you're like, oh my God, this is made up. So it doesn't even have to disappear, but it's like those moments where your thought system suddenly looks like the ridiculousness that it is, which is just uh, an illusion that creates, oh my God, so many different things, but can create beauty, can create chaos, can create insecurity, separation, isolation. I mean, it, it can create so many things. It's magical. But when you have that moments where that moment where you kind of see through the veil, as they talk about, or what I talked about in the opening is those, those very rare moments where I've actually felt like I dropped out of it altogether and experienced the silence beyond thought. There's this knowing that people have that's completely impersonal. It's um somehow built into the fabric of life of just being you just get it by being alive i don't know how to talk about it i mean i think mystics and probably philosophers and religious people have much more eloquent language for it but for me it's just that there's this knowing you know what to do and it doesn't come from you because it doesn't come from your thought system it doesn't come from a personally acquired skill or learning It's just pure, raw intelligence or insight. And everyone knows it on on the most mundane level, but also on the most profound level. When you suddenly see something you hadn't seen before and you almost want to send a thank you note, like that's how I feel I'm like, because it doesn't feel like it came from the little noisy mind of Mara that's like, what should I do? Should I do this? Should Should I stay with this guy? Should I break up with him? Or should I do this job? Or should I do that job? Or should I lose weight? Or should I like 
all that kind of bullshitty shitter chatter, but it's like, it's not that voice. It's this totally other space that just feels informed. And it's informed, like I said, because it's, it's just the intelligence of life. And when I realized, oh, that's in me, but it's in life, it's in everything. I could relax and I could trust that whatever I needed to get me through the simplest to the hardest things was in there. Then I just knew to look within and I just knew that it was a matter of time or it was a matter of settling down or it was a matter of being willing to consider that all the chit chat wasn't really helping me. There's a million different ways I could say it, but it was knowing that something existed that to be honest, I didn't know prior to that, or maybe I did. I just hadn't ever consciously considered it. But when it became something that I consciously considered and owned, it was like, okay, we humans can do this thing called life. We all can. And then it became interesting to me after I had that personal realization, well, okay, if that's not something that's coming from my little yip-yapping Mara mind, it's something that's just the intelligence of life, then it's in everything. And I could see that. I could see like, oh, wow, when I'm pregnant, my body literally grows an extra organ called the placenta. I didn't tell it to do that. It just does that. Sorry, I'm pregnant, so the references are fresh. But, <laughs> but, but we see this in life all the time. I remember when there was a wildfire in California near my parents' home and everything was black and ash and destroyed. And I thought, oh, this is so sad. And like two weeks later, you saw green coming through everywhere. And I was so shocked at how quick new life was to come through. And so I think that there's millions of metaphors and comparisons we can see in nature, but it's also true of humans. It's true on the most ordinary kind of boring examples of when you're racking your brain trying to figure out the name of someone or where you put your keys and the noisier you get, you literally like my feeling of it is like, Oh, I feel it going further away. <laughs> the more I'm like, what was that guy's name? What was that guy's name? It's like, the more you snap your finger, the further it gets. And then when you forget it and you're going about your day and you're not in the noise, it's like this answer emerges. Oh, John, that's who I was thinking about for. Oh, so like, that's a super kind of ordinary, non-profound example of it. But that's also true for the, the big stuff, the important stuff, the like, how do I do this thing called life kind of questions. And so it became really intriguing to me to share that with groups of humans, particularly those who were struggling with things. And like I said, it started out as more in organizational settings. Like I worked with a lot of businesses and businesses that were struggling. Um, particularly, I was very fortunate to um, work with engineering teams that were developing technologies for the military and things like that. Um, where there were extreme um, sort of deadlines and budgetary restrictions, but there was this massive sense of importance that they, they solved the technology in the Black Hawk helicopters that was making them go down. Like these were sort of life or death type scenarios. And so to work with teams of people 
that needed to get solutions and get them fast, but weren't. And the number one reason they weren't is because they were stressed out and not getting along. (laughs) It's like, well, if we could come in and help them learn about their mind and how to reconnect to what's under the noise, what's under the stress, what's under the not getting along, they would have these profound eureka moments. And I can't tell you how many times I would pinch myself hearing groups say things like, you know, after three days of sitting in a a much more reflective, quieter space and learning about the mind, then suddenly they'd have a half day problem solving session. And they would go, we just got more done in that half day session than we did in the last six months, because we're all in a different state of mind. And that was like, that was where I started to kind of go, wow, so this is like, reliable, consistent, it's in everyone, and it can be applied to anything. This is cool. And so then my wheels started turning, like, well, why aren't we applying this to some of the things that are really big, scary, chronic, global issues? Like the first thing that occurred to me was like, war and the refugee crises, you know, at the time when I sort of had this initial thought, the Syrian refugee crisis was all over the news. And it was like, I, the social worker in me wants to get on a plane and go help refugees that are living in tents. But I know that's not the ultimate solution, because that doesn't solve the source. So we have to look further upstream And every problem, when I looked further and further upstream, I could see it's noise and humans. And if we can help people connect to what's under the noise, they get solutions to all of the things, small and big, like I said. Um, And so that was, you know, why, why we wanted to start doing the work that we do now. Wonderful. So inspiring to hear and to listen to that freshly from you right now. What I would also love to hear is specific examples of where you've seen that play out in your work in Chicago in the last few years. Because I've heard Mm -hmm. in the various um, sharings that you, Eric, and the team there have, uh, have done, whether that's on an email or in a in a webinar, but I'd love to hear some later stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I know you've probably met on various events that we've hosted Dejan white, who is the young man that we started our youth mentorship program with here in Chicago called the rebels for peace. And, um, he was one of the most, the one, one of the more profound, um, sort of really quick um, insights that I've seen happen in an individual, which is what led to the forming of the Rebels for Peace, and really led to us moving here. But it was, you know, he was. I was invited to speak at a peace summit in a high school in Southside Chicago, um, which they do that school had done, I think that was their third year doing it. And they always did it at the end of the school year because the violence goes up dramatically during the summer months in Chicago. Um, 
mostly because kids have time on their hands. And unfortunately, um, with the access to guns and the sort of chronic conflict that does exist on the streets, if they're not, you know, being kept busy in school, that tends to just explode in the summer months. And it's really, really tragic. So um, these high schools have tried to have these peace summits where they have people come and give talks and they learn and they really try to inspire young people to get involved in peaceful activities going into the summer months. So I was asked to be a keynote speaker at this um, summit and I gave a talk. It's on YouTube. It's called Your Superpower. I think it's one of the most shared videos I've ever done which just goes to show you everyone wants to be talked to like a teenager. No one wants to be talked to like an adult. Um, so I had a lot of fun giving that talk, but in the breakout session after that talk was where I met Dejan. And what was really interesting and understandable is he was like, yeah, I liked your talk, but, and his but was, um, you know, the violence isn't something that I can single-handedly change because it's kind of written into a code of conduct here that if someone is to harm my friend, cousin, brother, dad, whatever, anyone who's connected to me, it's my duty and obligation to retaliate. And if I don't, I'm not a good person. And I could totally see the truth of that thought system because I have them in my life too. There are certain non-negotiables that we all adopt, you know, that are ingrained in us from such a young age, certain things that we think of as right or wrong that we would never question. And we would be appalled at someone suggesting we question them. You know, Everyone has those. Like I guarantee you, anyone listening to this, like you have those, whether you see it or not. And I honestly couldn't tell you, we, we, we filmed it, I, I could look back and, and, and look at the recording, but we somehow got into a dialogue where I tried to take it away from him, his exact personal example, but show how throughout history, all of human evolution has come down to people realizing that things they thought had to be a certain way didn't actually have to be that way. And that that only ever really happens when somebody questions what the rules are, you know? And so we talked about kind of questioning our own thought systems and our own rules. And, and honest to God, I know it had something to do with like, we ended up having a funny conversation about like sewage and how people used to think of how you, how you could get rid of waste that we would never do now, but we did then or something. It was, some, I just remember there was poop involved and it was funny. So it was lighthearted, you know? And he saw it, he saw something about how, oh yeah, humans used to think that way and now we don't, and now that looks ridiculous. And there was something again, and this is what's so exactly the same about when you're trying so hard to come up with a name and your head just gets noisier and noisier. It's like, in working with humans, I've found that you have to help people step back from the severity and the intensity of their thought system and give them space to be reflective or playful or laugh a bit or, or just curious. And so, there was something about how playful the conversation got that I think really helped. And you saw him suddenly then come back to the statement. If somebody hurts someone I love, I have to hurt them back. 
and he had fresh eyes and, and he suddenly saw, oh, that leads to perpetual fear and perpetual violence. And there is no end to that. If that's going to change, someone has to think about it differently. And for the first time, he saw it as a thought that needed to change, not an external, like not a system, not the man, not guns, not politics, not how much money people had, not. And it was really cool to watch him see it and say it as he was like, oh, that's the only way that changes. That's the only way that changes is if people see that they don't have to think what we thought we had to think. And he got so excited and I saw him kind of light up and he's like, oh, I want to do that. And I was even like, okay, do what? <laughs> you know, like even in the moment, I'm like, I don't know what you just saw, but I can tell you're excited. He's like, no, I, I want to do that. I want to help. I want to help be the person that changes that in my community. So he, because he saw something different underneath his noise about it, he almost immediately saw, oh, that's all that needs to change. And I see it so clearly. I want to be the one who does it. I mean, it was pretty, and this is certainly not the case with every kid we work with. We've worked with hundreds of kids now, and I would say we all have different learning curves and, and styles, and he was very unique, but it was very quick that he went from, oh my God, if I think that way, I'm a part of the problem and it stays the same to all I have to do is have a fresh thought about that. And the whole thing changes and the whole house of cards comes down. And I want to do that for my community. And you could see it was so beautiful because the same care for his loved ones that motivated the prior thought system was suddenly just translated in a different direction because the thought system had changed. There was a new thought and he saw that he could love people, but to do it in a way that wasn't going to be a participant in perpetuating the violence. And his, you know, he has the, the whole family history of having grown up around gang violence and that being normalized and every, you know, person around him has been in and out of jail. So he, he, he could have had all the reasons to stay exactly like he was and, and, and for no fault of his own, just sheer what's been normalized to you growing up. So it was pretty amazing to see him see through the veil of it and get so excited to be able to apply his love for people in a new way. And he went, it was like, we couldn't stop him. So I joked that, you know, I wasn't even living in Chicago at the time. That thing was on a Wednesday, a Friday, I was back in New York and I'm getting FaceTimes from this kid who I'd met once. <laughs> he has my number now and he's FaceTiming me. So, so, uh, and I remember he said, so I, I uh, got some people at my house and I want to do, you know, what you did, what we did, let's do it. <laughs> like, what are we doing? And he's like, well, I want to talk to them about what you talked to me about. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like this kid is just so, so he started having informal gatherings at his house where he was sharing with people like, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to change the violence in our neighborhood. And I want to create a movement. And that's when they came up with rebels for peace because they were rebelling against the thought system that you had to retaliate 
um, they came up with a tagline that said, every action doesn't need a reaction. Because of course they'd been taught like many young people, every action gets a reaction. And his insight was just because someone acts violently toward you, you don't have to react to it. You have the freedom of mind to choose not to react and perpetuate that violence. So that was their tagline for a little while. And then they had a graphic designer create t-shirts and blah, 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 blah. This led to um, meetings at the school. And so we had rebels for peace uh, after school sessions. And then we had public events and then we turned it into a formal internship and we moved here and, and the rest is history. But that moment of insight is what led to the formation of the rebels for peace, which now they're literally in our, our podcast studio over there running their fourth summer internship. They teach sixth, seventh and eighth grade students during the school year. They host events and it's all this in, in their own unique way, watching these young kids wake up to the realization that, oh my gosh, I have answers inside of me I didn't know I had. And I can take action to make my community different, not just my own life, but my community. And there's, of course, when people feel connected to wisdom and knowledge within themselves, they naturally want to give it away. I see that to be a profoundly true human fact that everyone, when they're not struggling, when they feel connected to their own solutions, their own resilience, their own answers, just naturally wants to give it away. So we love watching these kids that maybe start out the internship or start out the school year, you know, feeling really angry or really disengaged or really skeptical or just really struggling. And as they start to learn about the mind and they start to learn that they have these resources within them that has nothing to do with their race or socioeconomic background or how smart they are or what they look like or any of that. When they connect to that and feel it, they feel better. And when they feel better, they want to do better. They want to do better for themselves and they want to do better for the community. So that's another one of the kind of really simple taglines that they've run with is people who feel better, do better. Whereas people who hurt, hurt people. And that's a universal truth. And so it's just been really beautiful to watch all these different kids. Like I said, they're not all like Dijon, but in their own way, they reconnect to the solutions within them and they start to want to give that away. And they've done some really, really beautiful things I could talk for hours about. And it's really fun watching how young people do it. So there's been different creative expressions and one kid created an entire virtual reality like world online to try to explain this to other young people. And it's just amazing what, what young people come up with when they tap into this knowledge. So Mara, for those people that haven't um, read your book, I know that there's a, a bunch of examples that you give in your life when all the things that you thought just like him kind of started to fall away. Um, but I was wondering if you had an example of something recently mm. that you kind of thought for what it was and it started to fall away for you. 
Yeah. I mean, that's what's pretty amazing about being a human is that that um, ability to realize that we're living in a world constructed of our own ideas and that you can see through those. Not, not always, like I can't escape the fact that I'm a human with a mind and a thought system, but that I can have these moments of suddenly seeing one for what it is, is like, wow, that's pretty cool. And that that's gonna keep happening. It's also kind of like intimidating and scary. It's like, so I'm just making all of this up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've definitely had some some more recent um, realizations that have been, yeah, I'm trying to think of, there's kind of two that come to my mind and I'll, I'll try to be brief. And if you wanna hear more, you can ask questions, but um, one is, um, you know, I shared with Wynn when we spoke earlier in the week that he knows I, um, lost my sister and her two children this past year in a car crash. And it really, really, I mean, talk about under the noise. I feel like when something that life altering happens to you out of the blue, it's so unexpected. It's not like someone I knew got a cancer diagnosis. It was like from one moment to the next, they were alive and then they were dead. And it was so jarring that I feel like it took my entire thought system and went just sort of like exploded it for a little while. And I've been really honest. It was my, my brother's wife and, and he and I have had a lot of conversations about it. And I, I had moments of almost feeling guilty for how profoundly beautiful it felt. Like there was a horror to it, but there was also this unbelievable freedom that I'd never experienced before. And I'll, I can, all I can describe it is like the shit you normally care about, you don't care about when something like that happens. And there is something extremely wonderful about that feeling. <laughs> so like whether or not I applied or replied to an email or I described it once to somebody like in the, in the, in the weeks after their deaths, I felt like all of these really small untruths that were just part of my normal Mara world were just incinerated. Like they didn't, they didn't make sense anymore. And I didn't see them. I didn't know they were there, but little tiny things like how I would, you know, when I would go to visit my parents and they'd ask how I was doing even though I have an amazing relationship with my parents and I've always thought of myself as really authentic, open book, there was a way in which I wanted to share things that I thought they would like to hear that were good about my life. I wouldn't necessarily say where I was really at. I'd say what I wanted my parents to think about where I was at, you know, which again, I didn't see that. I didn't think I was doing that, but I, I was. And so they were like little, almost kind of harmless, but when there's lots of them, you know, they add up. And so there was this just bizarre freedom that I felt after they died because it was any pretense, any noise, any bullshit that I had in my head was so incredibly irrelevant. Like the only thing that mattered was being present in the moment 
for my family. So being there for my brother, making sure that he was going to be okay and survive this horrific tragedy. And I had just had my first child. So I had a, a, a four week old on the front of me. So I'm like, oh, I need to feed my baby. Oh, I need to go hug my brother. So I felt like I got this experience of living in a very primal, just what is the most necessary thing to be alive in this moment right now kind of existence. And everything else looked like bullshit. <laughs> so, and, and the reason I bring it up is because that was, you know, a year and a half ago now. So I didn't stay in that space forever, but I stayed in it for a very longer than I'd ever been in before a period of time. And I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not in the same sort of state of shock and, and incredible quiet that I was immediately after it happened, but it changed me. I know it changed me. It changed all of us. It's just the nature of what things like that do. And I realized like, I cannot think about money the same way I used to. I just can't. It's just like, I, I, got, I got a perspective on it that was so radically different. And I don't think I was someone who was chronically worried or stressed about money, but there was a certain amount of mattering. It had matter in my existence, but I see now that as one of those subtle untruths. Like it doesn't, it just looks like a lie to me now. It doesn't really look so yes, I'm a human. Yes. I have to pay bills. Yes. I invoice people for my services. Like I engage with the world of money still. Um, but I feel like I have a very different relationship to it. Um, and then another sort of small thing that I noticed is different. is like, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but throughout my day in any given work day or something like I might have the thought to reach out to a friend or have the thought to text my brother or my mom or my sister and say, I love you or thinking of you for no reason, just, or how are you doing? Or, but in the past, I would kind of just like dismiss those like, oh, well, I'm in the middle of my work day or, oh, they know I love them or, oh, I'll talk to them this weekend. And, and that really changed. Like if I have a thought of a human and I want to express it to them, I do. There's like whatever kind of barrier that used to exist in my head that looked real, like, oh, well, I can do that later. Or, oh, I'm busy writing an email. It's like, they don't look real to me anymore. So I just feel like there's this immediacy of connection and tenderness that I have with people that again, I didn't, I didn't think I was lacking that before, but it's just become much more visible to me that I can have that thought and act on it. And I don't need to listen to all the other thoughts that come after it that say, Oh, well, you're in the middle of something or blah, blah, blah. So I just feel like there's this immediacy of connection that I have with people in a really nice way that so those are just like a couple, I mean, I could, I could say a lot more. I mean, my entire relationship to death has changed after something like that. Um, so I could have a whole three-part series of <laughs> things that I learned in the last year and a half. And then COVID hit, which was a whole other interesting. It was like, oh, and now the entire world is going to be faced with looking at death in a different way. Interesting. I remember thinking that was really curious. Like here, my family went through it and now the world is kind of going through it in a way. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I've been very open with my brother now that I thank them. When I say them, I mean, my, my sister-in-law and her kids, Lou and Des, because 
they showed me many, many beautiful things in their departing for the other side that I just don't know that I would have seen. And I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting that I personally could have gotten myself there. I think it's just the nature of what happens when something like that happens. It's not like, oh, I should have learned that or I shouldn't have been that way or no. It's just, I have to be real about being grateful that I, I got to see those things. I don't know that I would have otherwise. That's huge. Yeah. And I think as a mom, I have an enormous love for my child and a gratitude for the moments that I get with him. But in a very deep way, I know that I don't determine what happens to him in life. And I think as a parent, that's really helpful. I don't know that I would have seen that as deeply as I see if my brother hadn't lost his two kids. You know, it's a, it's a horrible way to learn that, but I have learned it and I am grateful for it. Because I think, you know, as a parent, it's so tempting to feel responsible and then therefore want to control. Mm-hmm. And I, I really feel like, okay, yeah, I have to be responsible in the sense that like, don't let them run into traffic, but, <laughs> but I'm kind of like a much bigger, deeper philosophical he's his own human and there's a universe happening and all I can do is be his mom and love him and like Mm -hmm. try to keep him out of the road. (laughs) And I think that's been really nice. There's so much clarity in what you've seen. It sounds like. Yeah, it felt like that. It was like, it's like an enema for the head and the soul at the same time when something like that happens. It just goes in and just wipes out all the gunk because in that moment, you know, the gunk is irrelevant. And at the same time, like I have had my struggles with kind of going back into my normal, like, because obviously that's not normal. You don't live in that (laughs) Or at least it wasn't for me. I don't want to speak for anyone else. Um, So, you know, I I still, you know, year and a half has passed. And so I have my days where I am caught up in a bunch of gunk and I'm worrying about stupid shit. And and I'll have the temptation to be like, well, I miss. It's like, what, you miss the period immediately after you lost them? No, you don't. You just saw something that was really helpful and clear. Take what you can from it. And then be okay with your humanness, because I do think it is humanness that when the stakes aren't particularly high, we do have the room to run, run about in our minds and drive ourselves a little bit crazy. And that's okay. Like, you can't stop, you can't stop that. This is part of being human, I think. Which is amazing. Because honestly, it it sounds like even though with no effort on your part, your relationship with all of these small little beliefs that were kind of sneaky 
you know, that you didn't really see really clearly, your relationship will never be the same with them. Yeah. Even if you fall back into life and, you know, it's forever altered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel like that. And that's why I feel grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I really do want to ask you how you see death differently, but we can save that for another episode if we want. <laughs> I would love to hear that. That would be incredible. I would be happy to come back again and talk about it because I do yeah. think it would probably be a, a longer conversation, but it, it's been a, a really humbling and interesting deep learning for me that again, I didn't even realize I wasn't really open to. I didn't kind of prior to this, I just felt like, well, it's not really my department, whatever, whatever happens, happens. And I feel like we're all energy, probably return to energy. Like I just had a very kind of like nonchalant, whatever feeling about it, but now I don't because of the closeness I've had to it, but it's, it, it opened a whole series of doors up in me that I'm, I'm grateful to have walked through that again, I don't know that I would have walked through until maybe I was staring it in the face myself. I don't know. We'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So we'll make that happen. Deal. Thank Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always inspiring and always, I think the, what I always adore in listening to you, which is why I'm always smiling and leaning forward. It ain't an act, whether it's in Minneapolis or New York or London or Los Angeles and all the places that I've seen you talk. The freshness and the openness that you bring constantly inspires me. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Under the Noise with me, Wynn Morgan, Kate Roberts, and our special guest today, Mara Gleason Olson. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. And if there's any questions for us, then please let us know. And we've got the details for Mara below and uh, in the description of this podcast and if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about then please do get in touch and we'll speak to you again real soon thanks for joining us we'd love for you to subscribe rate and review if you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about email win or kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at kateroberts.coaching.com. until then enjoy what's possible under the noise